with demand expected to come back, but the question remains, does this mean the economy is back on track? Companies now, after experimenting with offshore and places like India, Philippines, and Poland, want to bring those jobs back. We invest in the U.S. We're the biggest exporter in the country. In the cycle one right now, we're creating jobs. From Radio America, it's Neil Asbury's Made in America. The show that explores American industry, large and small, and promotes American-made products everywhere. Put Neil Asbury's Made in America to work for you. A very big welcome to you today. I'm Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. We'll reach the State of the Union address. I guess the only thing good about it was it's Obama's last State of the Union address. I mean, if you listen to the president, I mean, you'd think that our economy is just roaring along, but just nobody seems to just quite get that. Well, according to Rasmussen, he's not wrong. 26% of Americans think that this country is heading in the right direction. And those dismal numbers is really driven by people's anxiety about what's happening or not happening with this economy. Well, that's exactly right. And the president, in, in all his wonderful splendor, said the other night that anyone claiming that the America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. What is true and the reason that a lot of Americans feel anxious, which is just what you're talking about, is that the economy has been changing in profound ways. I can't wait for our next guest to talk about those profound ways. We need we need a definition of profound, profound ways. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we're very pleased to have back on the show Peter Maurici, who's an economist and professor of international business at the University of Maryland. Peter, welcome back to Made in America. Nice to be with you. So, so Peter, what, what, what does mean profound, that the economy well, is changing in profound ways? You know, the economy is changing in profound ways. The global economy and the U.S. economy in that... We're at the, the, the beginning of a, the second great transformation, the first one being uh, going from scarcity to plenty in agriculture and industrial and freeing up those workers to build our cities and industrialize and manufacture and so forth. Now we're going into a second era where, you know, 90 percent of the jobs as we know them will be replaceable by smart machines in 20 or 30 years. Now, will they be replaced? That depends on whether we make the investments and choose to do it. Uh, and whether we create enough opportunities for people to do other things. Uh, but there are these changes. Uh, we are moving towards a, a non-petroleum-based economy. It might not seem that at 2 bucks a gallon, uh, but the alternative energy sources are starting to become more uh, economical, and oil is not going to stay cheap like this forever. These are unsustainable prices. So things are changing, but the U.S. economy is not growing very rapidly. And that's what he's missing. And people's lives are not getting better. And, it's not be and the answer to that is not to tax the 1% and subsidize the rest so the rest don't invest in themselves, but rather to get people to start taking responsibility for their lives, to invest in themselves so they can participate in this new technological age. Uh, I would point out that at the University of Maryland, uh, we have a little, just a little museum, really an exhibit, uh, to Miller Tiding. Miller Tidings was a, it was a World War I hero, and then on the strength of that, came back and established a political career and became a U.S. senator during the New Deal era. And he was an old, basically one of those old conservative Democrats from the South. Maryland was very Dixified in those days. And in his day, 
you went to the University of Maryland, it was assumed to study engineering. It was largely a military school, like Texas A&M was until, you know, 25, 40 years ago. And uh, the, the young men studied engineering, just as they did at, uh, say, West Point and so forth. Today, the, the supposition is, or the presumption is, you're going to go to college and study one of the liberal arts and get a degree in sociology, where some feminist tells you if you're a man, you're really to blame for all the problems and ills of the world, and especially if you're a white guy. And to move over because Hillary and her crowd are going to now run the country, and you should accept that because you are responsible for all the ill deeds going back to Alexander the Great and uh, Kublai Khan and all the rest. Uh, but we really need to educate people to, uh, to participate in this new technological age, or we are going to have basically haves in the cities and have-nots in rural areas, and the differentiation is going to be as profound as before the New Deal. All right, Peter, let me, you know, I think people feel a lot of angst for a lot of other reasons, too. I mean, they're concerned that we have an influx of immigration. We, uh, we, have, we are concerned that we have, on a number of levels, one, we have people coming in from the, the land bridge, coming through Central America, Mexico, into the United States. That's one group. Then we have the Syrian group that, that's on its way here. That's another group. And then we have the, you know, the, the high-level educated immigrants, as the president pointed out, as the typical Syrian refugee sitting at the State of the Union, a gentleman who's well-educated, well-coiffed, well-dressed, and will be functioning at a, at a high technological level in the United States. I, I think that a lot of people are concerned because they don't know if their job's even going to be there, not just because of technology, which I agree with you, but because it's going to be replaced by somebody who's having a lot of trouble understanding our culture and, and, and being here. Well, I think there's uh, three issues here. One is economic insecurity. Another one is terrorism. And then there is sort of sustaining the American culture. If all of the immigrants were the stereotypical person that Barack Obama would have us believe it is, well, then we wouldn't have an issue. Uh, the, the problem that we do have is that the cultural affectations of many of the immigrants are inconsistent with the values that have made America strong of self-reliance, individual responsibility, and so forth. I mean, in his State of the Union, he was pandering to the working-class immigrants by talking about various forms of wage security. Uh, as yet the next thing that we should do. You know, not only should we have unemployment insurance, but if you get a job that pays less, then we're going to make up the difference between the paying the old job and the new job. I mean, that's absurd. That doesn't give anybody any incentive to retool and, 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 do, and do new things. Uh, and there is the issue that immigrants beat down wages. And, by the way, they beat them down for professors and technical people just like they do for, for ordinary working people. That would be less of a concern if the economy was growing at 4.5% rather than 2 but it's not. And uh, in the Reagan era, it did. And there was much more emphasis on the kinds of values I explained. But the country has changed culturally. And it's hard for Republicans, for example, to run on those values and win elections. It simply is. For now, they have some grasp on power uh, because they've got a lock on the House. But wait till the next reapportionment in 2020. Wait till the election of 2022. It's going to be a very different House of Representatives then. Well, that depends, uh, uh, Peter. To what happens at the state level, though, right? I mean, who's well, you who's can't in the deny position? you can't you can't you you, you 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 can't deny an overwhelming number of uh, of min when the minorities become the majority, and they come from cultures uh, that are based on corporatism, state intervention, protectionism, uh, state guarantees of income, and things like that. Uh, or they come from cultures that are anti-modernism, as they are in the Middle East. Uh, and I'm talking about the working class folk. I'm not talking about the professional class. 
then you're going to have this then you're going to have more of this pandering politically and it's going to be more possible for the democrats to do those kinds of things because they will hold the house so you have peter written quite a bit about what's going on in fact uh, a piece i read uh, just after the new year uh, in early January, first week of January, uh, economy would be better off with a Republican president. And, and you've written a lot more about what is happening in the state of American politics right now. But but as the economy goes, I mean, of course, you got uh, a Bernie Sanders out there. I mean, wow, what a wacko that would be if he was running the economy. But assuming that, uh, you know, whoever's going to be the Republican uh, nominee eventually and assuming that Hillary actually uh, gets through um, uh, what she's trying to get through right now, and there's no guarantee she will. You know, what would you think about the economy going forward in 2016, uh, assuming that you're going to have a, a a more mainstream Republican and Hillary kind of battling it out? Is, is she going to stay with this real progressive stance that she has? Will she come more to the middle? Will the Republicans go more, you know, from the from the fringe that some of the Republican candidates are more to the middle? I mean, or will we continue to be this fringe nation, either on the right or the left? Well, this divisive nation, this divisive nation uh, or, or a fringe nation, however you want to uh, determine. Well, Hillary might move to the middle during the campaign, but if she gets elected, she'll move to the left. And she'll impose, you know, workplace regulations that are nightmaric, the kind of things that they're now imposing in California, which will make it very difficult to do business and very difficult for us to invest in the kinds of technologies that will become available to us. Uh, you watch. They'll start, you know, remember the old uh, work rules on, uh, uh, on, on trains? Uh, as we, you know, you would have to carry a Coleman even on a diesel, uh, you know, feather bedding. You watch. Oh, be sure, made. of course. Uh, my feeling is is that Hillary embodies the same radical left agenda as Barack Obama, and it's merely a third term, no matter what she says when she's um, campaigning. Uh, my my concern is the Republicans don't nominate someone that can beat her. In order to win, you have to win in Colorado and in Virginia. Colorado's got huge numbers of women who are not married. They tend to really buy into that agenda. They read Glamour magazine. They blame all the, the problems of the world on white guys. And the Republicans will be running a white guy. Um, my feeling is that the only candidate... the Republicans Well, when you say Republicans will be running a, a white guy, uh, who is that? Well, I, I can't... You want, you want me to predict who's going to be nominated? I can't do that. Well, I mean, it, well, would, a, would a Latino uh, such as Cruz well, or I'm, Rubio I'm, be in that category? Rubio comes as close as you can get. Uh, to qualifying. Well, Peter, unfortunately, we're out of time. But, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Very, very, very insightful. We appreciate this very much. Take care. Coming up, we have Ian Murray of the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We're going to talk also about the president's State of the Union address. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, it's always uh, uh, nice to hear from Peter Morisi uh, uh, from the University of Maryland, and he's been on the show a lot of times. A, a very emotive guy, but today he was, you know, he was uh, uh, very tame compared to what he's we... He's depressed. Yeah, you know, well, maybe he was. The State of the Union <laughs> address would make a lot of people depressed. The state of American politics would make a lot of people depressed. But it's absolutely incredible to listen to the different opinions 
of 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 you know very brilliant people like Peter, uh, you know the state of the economy, you know you know all, everything that's being said, you know what's the the competitive pressures on on Americans and the anxieties on Americans. Um, it's it's really incredible to see how so many smart people could have so many different decisions and so many so many different ideas about what's going on in this country. And uh, it's just not coalescing around one sort of thing. You know, there's just just lots of. Well, that's why that's why this is a very challenging election. Just getting to the point where there could be a nomination is inordinately challenging. But to stay on the State of the Union address and uh, 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 some of the questions that the president had, our next guest actually has the answers. Uh, Ian Murray at the Competitive Enterprise Institute joins us now. Ian, welcome to Made in America. It's great to be back with you again, Neil. So, Ian, you just published a piece. Uh, three economists had the answer to the president's uh, questions. Uh, a very fascinating piece. You know, and he's, he's asking things like, uh, you know, how does America deal with all of these uh, technological shifts? And how do we make a better country? And, you know, how do we get everybody working with good paying jobs? And, uh, you know, you kind of analyze that and kind of go back in history a little bit. And one of the things you say is, well, allow creative destruction. And it's not something that the Democrats like. I mean, if they see something that's going on in the market, uh, and especially if it's their constituents and donors, uh, they try to resuscitate it, you know, keep it on life support. And you mentioned Amazon. I mean, Amazon came in and has changed the way that people do business. And it creates jobs and, and many times better paying jobs. So tell us about the State of the Union and specifically what the president had to say about these three questions. I think the important thing to know is that the uh, the free market and free market economics actually have the answer to all the questions that the president was asking. You know, he asked, uh, how do we give everyone a fair shot at opportunity? How do we make technology work for us? And how do we make our politics reflect what's best for us? These are not new questions. We've been through them many times before. And the free market economists have pretty convincing answers uh, for, for them, you know, backed up by data. And uh, when you look at it, um, you can easily see that if if the president just backed off and stopped trying to protect his cronies and uh, stopped trying to uh, stop entrepreneurs and innovators from doing new things, then this country would be a lot better off and our politics would indeed reflect what's better for us. Well, having said that, then... um you know, the, you know, the free market lets, lets each person become all they're capable of being. So how do we get around this uh, administration and folks like uh, President Obama and maybe Hillary as well uh, by not piling on, as we as we well know, 2015 was the year of regulations. It broke all records. How do we get around that and how do we free everybody up so they do get a fair shot at whatever level they're at? Well, I think that's where Uber shows the way. Uh, my friend Dan Hannan, the British uh, member of the European Parliament, always says that uh, regulators are trying to stop us uh, uh, left, right, and center. But the good thing is that innovators are always a step ahead of them. And if you look at what happened with Uber, was they came up with something that no regulation had, had, had ever thought of before, uh, the, the, ever thought to, to try and uh, curtail the idea that people could turn you know, a rideshare and giving somebody a lift into a in, into a business and start doing it for strangers uh, and uh, without any uh, uh, without any of the problems of, of worrying about uh, 
whether the stranger is trustworthy or not because there's a trust system built into Uber's app. You know, that was the great leap forward that, that Uber had. And Uber just went ahead and started doing it anyway. And the regulators, you know, some, some states, some jurisdictions, they came in and tried to stop it. But by that time, Uber had already established uh, a customer base and had... Uh, and, People realized the benefits of this. They realized that the three things that the president was talking about were actually improved uh, by Uber. And so the regulators had to step back. So I think it's, it's about time that, uh, that in, in more industries we started uh, you know, uh, asking for forgiveness rather than permission, as it were. Well, Ian, I mean, your piece was great. I mean, as you said, allow creative destruction like we've seen with the Amazon and, 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 and allow trans, and transaction costs to go down, like you said, with Uber. I mean, how much money is that saving us? In fact, I, I, I ride Uber a lot, and, and I get emails from Uber saying, hey, look, you know, you're in Sacramento a lot. You know, our rates in Sacramento just went down. I mean, it's, it's really so incredible what they did. And uh, th- despite the unions and the pushback from cities like New York, it just seems like that train has left the station, to coin a phrase, that we're not going to turn back this innovation. We're not going to turn back uh, the transaction costs going down, despite how much the Democrats would love to see this thing go away. Well, this is sort of like a gestalt moment out of chaos comes order. And, and for example, Macy's is going to let 4,000 people go as a result of their lack of sales, at least in the stores. But the truth of the matter is, as you just pointed out, Amazon was doing okay. And I have to tell you, this is the first Christmas, Neil. I did not go to one store. I did all my shopping on the Internet. All of it. Hey, Ian, thanks for being on the show. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, It's been great being with you. Coming up, we have Julie Grace Brufke, who's a journalist and former editor of United Press International. Made in America. Sharply higher at the open, stocks continued to perform well over the course of the day Tuesday. And I think that bodes well here over the next couple of years for having bigger demands coming to this country. Now, more of Neil Asbury's Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Rich, you know, we, we do a lot of reading. We read a lot uh, 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 real clear politics and, you know, kind of getting both sides of the, the, the story. It's really fascinating. We see a lot of headlines. And there's every once in a while a headline that just kind of jumps out at you and, uh, and just kind of says, wow, uh, did that really happen? And there was a headline the other day that caught our attention. Uh, a major bank predicts cataclysmic year tells clients to sell everything. Now, if, if that was not from a major bank, okay, yeah, 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 but this was from the Royal Bank of Scotland. And uh, we have the, the, the person who wrote this piece going to talk to us a little bit about it, but wow, this is, this is some pretty scary stuff. And, and we're not surprised based on the State of the Union and, 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 the, and, the, and the real circus we have going on in this country now with politics. I can see how the world would be very anxious. Very pleased to have on Julie Grace Brufke, who's a journalist and editor or former editor at the United Press International. Julie Grace, welcome to Made in America. Uh, thanks for having me on. So the piece that you wrote here in the, in, in the Daily Caller, Major Bank predicts cataclysmic year tells clients sell everything. I mean, this came from the, the Royal Bank 
of Scotland, and you go on to say uh, in your piece, uh, in a crowded hall, exit doors are small. So I guess they're saying before everybody's heading for the exits, you get out that door as quick as you can. So really uh, an incredible uh, thing to say from a major financial institution. It's um, uh, Andrew Roberts, the um, research chief at Royal Bank of Scotland, he had sent out a note to investors, I think it was dated the 8th, telling everyone to get out due to the volatility in China and falling oil prices, saying that uh, even the U.S. markets could drop 10 to 20 percent. Um, I've talked to some economists since then, which have said that it's uh, kind of an unprecedented statement for them to for them to make since while the markets are, are down, dumping everything would be ill-advised. Uh, but Royal Bank of Scotland wasn't the, the only major bank. J.P. Morgan also got a little bearish and said if uh, there's a rally to dump, dump stocks within uh, the past week. Well, you know, it, it, it's sort of a, uh, you know, it's a lemming moment. I mean, it's, it's a, when you see the word cataclysmic, you're cataclysmic. That's a pretty strong word. That's a word. big word. Yeah, that's a strong <laughs> word. So that stopped someone right in their track and said, oh, my God. But, of course, by selling, I mean, and that's why you got to put the word out and understand, temper this dramatically because there are incredible nuances to selling your stocks and selling everything to what's going on. But let me ask you a question. Now, you know, we're looking back. We've, we're into our second week uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of a down, a down D, uh, Dow Jones and S&P and, and NASDAQ. And global markets, for that matter, Shanghai and others, and the Hang Seng. How do you feel right now, looking at this, sort of like quarterbacking it on Monday? How do you feel in retrospect of the last week and a half? I think that, um, in general, timing the markets is tricky at best. We've seen them rally a little bit. And uh, usually those that aren't participating in the market miss the rally when recoveries begin. So, I mean, I'm a journalist not an economist, but as far from everyone I've talked to, um, I mean, if you're hitting retirement age, maybe retreating is a good idea. But long-term investors, it's probably better to stay put. So, do you, if you think you know the go button on all of this, and you hear, and you listen to people all the time that well, you know, it's China and China's imploding. We talked about this <laughs> just last week, Neil. We talk about the implosion of the economy in China, and they can't, you know, falsely keep it up, and things aren't going to work out. And look what's happening now. Other people are saying it's energy that the you know oil cannot cannot sustain at thirty dollars or under a barrel. That you're destroying an industry. That it's not good. Then you look at the Middle East and saying, well, this is not good because the Saudis now are concerned about Iran, and Iran is concerned about the Saudis. So that's a very unstable environment. You know what would be from your perspective, just by talking to everybody. Now, what would be the the go button for a turnaround? If any- that is a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> what would be your best guess? I mean, this isn't exactly your forte in in, in the world, but if if you were thinking, is it oil? Is it China? Is it a combination of all? Is it just a tremendous uncertainty because people are so concerned about you know strife throughout the world? What you, you think something can turn this thing around? Um, well, I, th- I think a lot of uh, kind of this doom mongering, in a way, could be a self fulfilling prophecy, and staying in the markets is. Pr- I, I think that I mean China is definitely a major problem. So it's, but, uh, but you know, you know, Julie Grayson, I, sure. I I was in I was in Asia, uh, lived there for many years, and I was there in the uh, end of the eighties. 
when, you know, Japan was 10 feet tall and, you know, we're all reading Japanese management books and Japan, you know, we all had to become Japanese if we're going to survive and our businesses had to be and we had to remake our companies all to be Koritsu and all of that. But then but then the bubble burst and Japan has been crawling on its belly ever since. But the reason I bring that up is because when that all happened, when that all went down, the U.S. just kept chugging along. (laughs) Nothing happened. You know, it was a non-issue in the United States. But here, China, you know, seems to have a bit of an economic problem. And the United States, you know, is is responding to it. We didn't respond to the problem in Japan like we are with China. China's the second biggest economy in the world. Well, Japan was the second biggest economy in the world, too. When that but happened. China holds a lot of our debt. Well, that, so does Japan. Well, well, Japan but, at the time, you know, 1989, uh, Japan was it was as even a stronger position than China is today. So it's just fascinating to me that. It's just fascinating to me how how you know the difference between uh, we responding to China today and the way we responded to Japan, and which which tells me that maybe we are over responding, uh, and that maybe things aren't as bad as the, the, this cataclysmic world that we're being told about. Hey, Julie Grace, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me on. <laughs> Very good. Coming up, Rich and I are going to talk about a number of headlines out this week that have a huge impact on your jobs. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, a lot of headlines uh, this last week that really grabbed my eye. But, uh, you know, I just kind of got to go through these, get through as many as we can here in the next few minutes. Uh, Yahoo is preparing to lay off 10 percent or more of its workforce. Isn't Yahoo one of the cronies? I mean, isn't this one of the companies yes. that Obama pals around with? Yes. I mean, Actually, um, uh, Marissa Mayer, the, the CEO of um, who's a magnificent looking woman, by the way. Uh, as a CEO of Yahoo, uh, is a great, great fundraiser for Obama. I, I was just going to say, they must not be paying their crony dues here if they're going to be laying off these employees. Well, you know, it, it, it's a strange week for media. I mean, they're having problems there. And, and I know this is going to break the heart of a lot of people listening to us. Al Jazeera will be going off the air starting in April. I guess they bought a bad deal from Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, it just right. didn't work out well for them, did it? Yeah, I I'm really, a bad deal really shook around. up about that one. Um, but, uh, more than, uh, according to the Competitive Enterprise Institute, great friends of ours, Obama sets red tape record. And he's wondering why that economy just, well, of course, Obama thinks the economy's roaring along just fine. But it's just that 300, American, 300 million Americans don't believe that. It 545,000 pages of regulation since this president has become president. Compared to just 50,000 for all of Reagan's eight years in office, 10 times more, and even 50,000 pages of regulation to me seems way too much. But but this is already more than a half a million pages of regulation since Obama's been president just seven years worth. What what the heck are they writing about? No, it's really sick. I mean, this is the uh, it's really funny because at the State of the Union, you know, he was talking about, you know, uh, the problems we have to give everybody a chance to you know, have a fair share of the of the, uh, you know, the brass ring on the carousel. And, and yet it's his administration that more so than any administration in the history, because it is a record 
2015 cost billions and billions more for private and enterprise, Neil. And this affects you, too, with all the companies that you own, for all the, rec- all the regulations you have to adhere to. So it actually it actually restricts you, doesn't it? Well, it's, it, there's there's good information by the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Heritage Foundation, and many others. That, that we've reported on this that a regulation costs the American economy about one point six trillion dollars a year. That's right. About ten percent of our economy, one point six trillion. I mean, that is a lot of regulation. That is a lot of job killing mm-hmm. regulation uh, that's out there. And 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 we're talking about the good paying jobs. You know, Americans making things and building things, that value-added stuff that is the jobs that our, our, our people are so desperately looking for, is this regulation that is just a real big problem, a real, real big problem. Well, listen, if you really want to understand that, I mean, here we have an administration that's out there with a page upon page of regulation that's just weighing down, weighing down uh, businesses in the United States and inhibiting others from starting. Well, how about this stat, that $765,645,000,000, a tax collection record, uh, fiscal year 2016, first quarter, and we still run a $215.5 billion deficit for the same time period. Here we set a record in taxes, and we, we still have a huge budget, a $215.5 billion deficit in our budget. So combine that with more debt, combine that with all the, the funds that people have to spend in their corporations to adhere to regulations, you know, uh, 540,000 pages, million pages of regulations. What do you think it's doing to the economy? Well, I'll tell you what it's doing because the labor force participation rate, another headline this week, is about 94 million Americans not in the labor force. Now, these are these are able-bodied Americans, Americans that should be, could be working, should be contributing, should be paying taxes, should be making things, should be making their community safer and helping to build the schools and the highways and the universities and the hospitals. Yes, and, and keeping our military strong, too. 94 million Americans are not in the workforce. And, and why can they not connect the dots to this Rich, I, I just don't get it. Well, it's something we hope that when they listen to the uh, the debates that are coming out on the Republican side and, and you listen to the, well, I don't even want to call it a debate, on the Democratic side, but maybe you'll understand that, you know, things aren't all that great. I mean, there's a piece out there um, that says rail shipments indicate U.S. heading for a recession. In other words, we're not shipping as much as we did before by rail. That's big items, big items that you can't fly. You've got to ship by by train, and and that's down uh, dramatically from the year before. Then we find out that half of the U.S. shale drillers may go bankrupt, according to Oppenheimer and company, because of well, the price of oil and regulations is another, and the fact that the 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 far left is fighting them tooth and nail because it's fossil fuels, and 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 Neil, those are good paying middle class jobs that could be hurt. Half of U.S. shale. It's what's made us, to a degree, energy independent. Give us the comfort that we know that we can take care of ourselves right here, and America can provide jobs for Americans right here, good-paying jobs. And, yep, that's in dire strait right now. So it's very interesting. I mean, I don't want to be the harbinger of horrible news, but, you know, let's just get it all out there. Then we can clean it up and get the right person and, and administration in and move forward. 
Well, you know, the last headline that we have time uh, for, Rich, and I'm sure this is going to get you excited. The U.S. Supreme Court is actually going to hear um, a a, a case that's before it. They've agreed to accept it. Uh, Their decision is going to be out by June by June, which is right in time for the heat of the American presidential election. This is going to have a major impact on unions. Uh, and, and the whole issue is, should public unions be allowed to compel uh, workers who work for the state to have to pay union dues, whether they like to or not? A group of, of, of um, state employees in California has brought this suit and saying, rightfully so, we don't agree with the politics of the union. So why should we have to pay our money to support politics in positions that we fervently, fervently disagree with? Supreme Court has decided to take it up. Well, uh, Rich, you're actually up next with your report on cronyism, the rise of cronyism in America with Dr. Rich Rothman coming up next. Made in America. big welcome to you. Thanks for coming back. I'm Neil Asbury, your host, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Rich, well, this uh, show, I guess we could have headlined it, our response to the State of the Union address. One thing that the president did not discuss, the elephant in the room, was cronyism and the rise of cronyism in America, and especially in his administration. And if you took a look at kind of his checklist of things, it was rife with cronyism. It was absolutely rife with cronyism. You know, if there is any uh, economic uh, sort of uh, uh, sunlight here hitting our economy, that would have to be on the rise of cronyism in the cronies in the crony industries that he is supporting. Well, now that you said that, I I wasn't going to bring this up, but I think I have to bring this up because you've challenged me. Uh, He did say this week. The administration did say this week that the president is very interested in pursuing uh, driverless cars, self-driving cars. Now, what do you think that's going to do? Sort of like a Solyndra moment for everybody? I mean, (laughs) his friends are the ones. Zuckerberg is is creating a a car that way. The Amazon, Google's creating cars this way. I mean, all these companies, iPhones, creating a driverless car. These are the people that he, he hangs with when he goes out to California and, and, and they, when they're on the East Coast, they come to visit him. So I would think that, uh, you know, these are the cats that are going to wind up getting a lot of money from the, from the government. So they can then – Elon Musk gets lots of money from the, uh, the government with driverless cars. He thinks that's the future, too, and for space. But one of the people who are out there in terms of cronies is, is Hillary. And, and they're trying to make a connection now. They're concerned that the foundation, her foundation, the, the, um, the, the bill – Hillary, Chelsea, and whatever their dog's name foundation is, <clears throat> excuse me, is taking in all this money. So there's a piece that Paul Harvey did uh, before he died, and I thought I would I would read it very very quickly. And it's called "So God Made a Clinton," and it says, "On the eighth day, God looked down on His creation and said, it's way too honest and forthright.' So God made a Clinton." God said, I need somebody willing to do anything, believe anything, say anything, no matter how false, in order to attain power. So God made a Clinton. 
<laughs> I need somebody with a finger strong enough to wag at the cameras, but gentle enough to hit the power button on an industrial strength paper shredder. Somebody to bark at Congress, threaten cantankerous committee chairs, ignore subpoenas, and hide long sought after documents troves deep in the bowels of the White House residence. So God made a Clinton. God said, I need somebody willing to spend decades nursing naked ambition and then watch it die when some upstart nobody from Chicago decides he doesn't want to wait his turn. Then dry her eyes and say, maybe in 2016, I need somebody who can shiv a political enemy with nothing more than a nail file and an iPhone case she swore she was way too inconvenient to carry around in addition to a BlackBerry. And who, in primary and general campaign season, will doggedly complete the Sunday show sweep and then pop up on TV again later that evening to tell you the server will remain private. So, so God made a Clinton. God had to have somebody willing to put up with endless neglect from a 200-timing spouse with a wandering eye and a pension for island parties with a sex offender. Also, that one day she might finally be able to Take a sip from that glorious goblet marked Madam President. So God made a Clinton. God said, I need somebody strong enough to fly something like 8 billion miles just to fill the aching emptiness of knowing that all her effort might actually end up for naught, yet gentle enough to don a pink pantsuit and chastise the vast right-wing conspiracy for going after such a sweet, harmless illy-billy. It had to be somebody who could parse words, look straight in the camera, and swear she totally spent over half her time as the world's most powerful diplomat playing Candy Crush and sending you girl go girls emails to her BFFs from the hot yoga place down the street. Somebody who put the family together, incorporated as a tax-exempt nonprofit, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with affirming eyes when her daughter says she has an idea about how to secretly collect millions from Algeria, Qatar, and Oman without anyone ever being the wiser. So God made a Clinton. Now, Paul Harvey did that a long time ago, obviously, before he passed away, and he did it before, you know, after the 2008 election. Has anything changed? I just thought it was so perfect. Um, the way so that really dates together. back. That dates back that long ago. Yes, you know, it, right after two thousand and eight. Really, incredible. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. We hope that you'll be back again with us next week for another adventure of Made in America, where we never stop fighting for your jobs. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.